News. Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, November 21st. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Africa's soccer champion Senegal plays their first game at the FIFA World Cup today, Monday. All these people are happy, waiting eagerly to see Senegal play. Most of them also are disappointed that Sadio Mane is not there. We will tell you more about the first ever African female to referee the World Cup. Peace talks begin today in Nairobi between the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo and M23 rebels. A spokesperson says the Eswatini government is always open for dialogue. COP27 delegates agreed to a new loss and damage fund for poor countries but failed to slow carbon emissions. A fund for loss and damage is essential, but it's not an answer if the climate crisis washes a small island state off the map or turns an entire African country to desert. And one in seven children has experienced child neglect as the UN marked World Children's Day yesterday, Sunday. Those stories, plus Samson Omani sports, are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The 2022 FIFA World Cup continues today in Qatar. Senegal, the reigning champions of Africa, will be the first African country to take to the pitch when they play Netherlands later today, Monday. I asked reporter Sunday Shumari of VOA Swahili Service, who is at the Games, about the atmosphere as the Lions of Taranga take to the field later today. Good morning, James Barty. The situation here in Qatar, James is happiness and also people are ready for this world cup they have been waiting for so long and finally it is here every place is packed all the citizens are ready everyone is talking football breathing football drinking football talking about football whether it's older adults young men and women and children everyone is talking football I will tell you this, most of them that I spoke to were saddened when they heard Sadio Mane will miss the Senegal game. However, they are very optimistic that they will enjoy the magic of football. There are people from all works of life, all different places of these corners of the world, speaking different languages. But actually, right now, I think all of us, we are speaking one language, and that language is football. Of course, the first African country, Senegal, will play its first match today, Monday. Have you come across African fans? And uh, how would you describe their mood, the level of uh, excitement and expectation? James, I've met uh, some people and uh, fans from Senegal as well as Ghana and even Pakistan. All these people are happy, waiting eagerly to see Senegal playing. Most of them also are disappointed that Sadio Mane is not there. But anyway, some of them are saying it doesn't matter that the Senegal team is a strong team with a deep squad. So they believe, regardless, they will do well. They believe Senegal as a very strong African team and they give Senegal the biggest chance from all the teams that you know from Africa. These guys are very excited. And what they're saying is they're expecting 
miracles to happen from one of the teams from Africa. And the one that they give most chance is Senegal. So we're waiting how it's going to happen today, later on, when the Lions of Teranga will play the Netherlands. It's going to be a great match. That was reporter Sunday Shumari of the Swahili Language Service speaking with us from Doha, Qatar. The 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar has some historical significance for Africa, especially Rwanda, because for the first time, an African woman referee, Salima Redia Mukansanga, will be in control of some of the matches. Sports reporter Eddie Msabimana of the New Times of Rwanda tells me that referee Mukansanga is in Qatar not because she is a woman, but because she deserves to be there. Mukansanga is the a top referee in Rwanda, has been referring in the first division, but of course she has this journey, it has been the same when you look at how uh, her development was. First of all, referring was not her first choice. She dreams about playing football, but there were some limitations and she played basketball. Then she was in 2006 that she started the referee, that's where she started the referee, in her high school age. Then she, she first tried to play basketball, but due to difficulties associated with the access to facilities, she turned to football. Then she, she started referring in the second division for over 10 years, and then in 2018, that's where she was promoted in referring some games in the first division in the Rwanda Premier League. From 2018 to 2022, it's been four years referring. And I think she's got the right package needed to officiate international matches. And uh, the World Cup wouldn't be her first international experience because she was also able to officiate the Africa Cup of Nations this year in February in Cameroon. And uh, she really did well. I remember she, she officiated the match between Guinea and Zimbabwe and she performed well. That's where Rwanda and Africa started celebrating her. And uh, I think that's where FIFA was a trust in her and they handed her a chance to officiate the FIFA World Cup, and here she is. So, like she always says, she's not there by chance. She's not there because she's a woman. She's there because she deserves it. Eddie, thank you so much again. So nice to have you on Daybreak Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Jim. That was sports reporter Eddie Unsabimana of the New Times of Rwanda speaking with us from the Rwanda capital, Kigali. Peace talks in Nairobi begin today Monday between officials of the Democratic Republic of Congo and M23 rebels. Former Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta will mediate the meeting. There is a variety of opinions on the talks in the town of Goma in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. For some, dialogue is not necessary and will not end the conflict, while others believe that a solution can be found if the stakeholders show real interest. Reporter Zaneb Neti Zaidi has more from Goma. In a statement issued the day after the recent visit to Goma of Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, the provincial coordination of the Union Sacre or Sacred Union in North Kivu, a structure that supports DRC President Chisekedi, says it does not believe in the process. Stefan Mashukano, 
the coordinator of the Union Sacre says that everything Kenyatta, the mediator of the Nairobi peace dialogue, is doing is not censored or effective. He says that we should not rely on talks that are always the proposed solution to the security problem in the country. He thinks that Congolese themselves should fight for their country. If they do not stand up for their country, no one will do it for them. Civil society groups on their part says they find nothing wrong with the Nairobi process. Lucha is a no-violent and no-partisan youth movement fighting for social justice and accountability. Activist Espoir Aspirin says its members will support whatever solution is presented to end the war. He agrees with anything that can bring peace, seeing the hardship his compatriots and the people of North Kivu and the Turi provinces are going through. He thinks that dialogue will be better, but he says he does not agree with negotiations in which the DRC would be forced to do things that may not be fair or effective. Political analyst John Bahati is also skeptical of the Nairobi talks and recommends that the government stand firm and not be dictated to. He says the M23 has been around for years. He don't think that the Nairobi process will bring about a solution because dialogue has been used for a long time, but it hasn't brought about a solution. Rwandan President Paul Kagame has agreed to assist facilitator Uhuru Kenyatta in securing a ceasefire and the withdrawal of M23 from their positions, according to an East African community communique issued on Friday. For VOA Africa, Amzanem Netizaidi in Goma. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, November 21st. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's Force. The United Nations Climate Conference ended in overtime on Sunday morning with the creation of a loss and damage fund, which analysts say is a step towards helping the people who are already suffering the most from climate change. But in settlements crushed by mudslides in Brazil, locals say it will take more than money to avert disaster. Views Heather Murder reports in Sham El Sheikh, Egypt, with Yam Bolcha in Garua, Brazil. In 2020, Dozens of people were killed as heavy rains triggered a mudslide into this impoverished settlement in Brazil. It took days to dig out the bodies. Families in the area say that unlike the case in years and generations past, the rain is now aggressive, dangerous, and terrifying. Guarujá resident José Hilda Borges Amarante says elders in her community say the rain and the climate is unlike anything they've seen before. On Sunday, the UN climate conference in Egypt, COP27, ended after a day and a half of overtime negotiations with an agreement to establish a loss and damage fund 
to help the world's most vulnerable communities prepare for and recover from climate change-related disasters, with the first official meetings to even discuss where to get the money and how to disperse it, not scheduled until March 2023, though. It does little to help families already on the front lines of climate change, struggling as climate-related disasters increase in frequency and deadliness. While COP27 did not retreat on international goals to limit global warming, officials say it did little to further the achievement of those goals. Here's UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. But let's be clear. Our planet is still in the emergency room. We need to drastically reduce emissions now, and this is an issue this COP did not address. A fund for loss and damage is essential, but it's not an answer if the climate crisis washes a small island state off the map or turns an entire African country to desert. In Guarujá, Brazil, locals say the problem is threefold. The climate is changing rapidly, people are destroying the environment, and they have no money to recover after a disaster. Climate change alone may not have caused the deadly mudslides, they say, if the mountains had not been stripped of trees and bushes. Acacio Bezeja de Silva is a painter living in a mudslide-ravaged area. Nature is revolting, he adds, for decades of deforestation and the neglect that have already led the world to warm more than one degree Celsius, a trend he hopes international negotiators can slow down because it is already too late to reverse it. For VOA, Heather Murdoch in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, and Jan Boisha in Guarujá, Brazil. The spokesperson for the government of Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, says the government has always been interested in dialogue with anyone. But Althias Zumalo says last Friday's meeting between King Nswati III and Namibian President Hash Gingo, chair of the Southern African Development Community's Sadek Troika on politics and defense and security, was not about dialogue. Sadek has been trying to facilitate a discussion between the Eswatini government and pro-democracy groups. The Sadek Troika chair's visit came as protests demanding the release of two jailed members of parliament continue. Government spokesperson Zumalo tells me the Sadek Troika chair's visit was purely a courtesy call on King Nswati III and not about any dialogue. The discussions between the two heads of state was very mutual and they were very cordial. There was no political agenda on the table. Basically, as you may recall and know that the president of Namibia is the incoming uh, chair of the SADAC. So right now what he is doing is visiting all the SADAC countries to introduce himself to the head, respective head of state and, of course, introduce his agenda while his term of office endures. You were quoted on social media as saying that conflict resolution through a peaceful dialogue was part of their discussions. I thought your government had rejected any dialogue. Are you now saying your government is ready to dialogue? Our government, uh, my brother, has always been ready for dialogue. There was never a time in our history, even after the aftermath of the recent violence, where the government was not ready for dialogue. So what the president of Namibia came to engage with the king, actually, did not overlap into discussing matters of dialogue or matters of uh, politics in the country. As I am repeating again, he came on a courtesy visit 
to meet his, his Majesty, and he uh, is meeting all Sadak head of state. And from there, then there will be a Sadak Troika meeting where issues of conflict which are unfolding in the region shall be discussed. The Sadak chair's visit to your country came as there has been some heightened agitation by pro-democracy groups in your country because of what they say is the continued imprisonment of these two members of parliament for more than a year now. Did that come up in the discussion? No, as I say, I may not be 100% privy to what was discussed between the two heads of states behind the closed doors. But as you are alluding now, bringing to an issue which was never actually given to the public in terms of the briefing that was done after the meeting. And those two MPs that you are referring to are not incarcerated by the government. They are appearing in the courts of the country. They are defending their case. They have attorneys, even they've employed some from the Republic of South Africa that are here, that are defending the case, that they are facing in the, in the court of the land. So the government has got nothing to do with what will transpire at the end of the day there. Government cannot interfere with the processes of the courts. When the court, after the process has gone to the end, they will issue their verdict. Either the, the court will find them guilty. If not guilty, they will be released accordingly. And if they are found guilty, they are still higher courts in the land. There's a Supreme Court or an appeal court where they can take their case also to. So it is not a matter of the government to either release them or do anything about the situation as a person. Althea Zimalo is the spokesperson for the Eswatini government. You are speaking with us from the capital, Mbabani. The United Nations Children Fund says one in seven children have experienced child neglect in the last year. The agencies and millions of children around the world continue to face discrimination and exclusion despite efforts to protect them. A new UNICEF report indicates that most of the children face disparity in schools and in their communities. Marie Ojiambo reports. World Children's Day was first established in 1954 as Universal Children's Day and is celebrated on 20th of November each year to promote international unity and awareness to improve children's welfare. With this year's theme being a better future for every child, the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, says that children continue to pay a heavy price for violence and conflict in Kenya. One in three children face violence, and in most cases, the matter has not been reported. UNICEF representative to Kenya, Jean Lokenga, says that governments globally should invest in services that every child will benefit from. Through global partnerships, we've helped to immunize and protect lives of millions of children worldwide and ensure they can attend school. We all know that too many children are being left behind or are hard to reach. We all have the obligations to ensure that all children, boys and girls, enjoy the right to survive, thrive, and develop to their full potential. The rights of the child ensure the obligation to protect children in situations of conflict and violence, as well as guaranteeing their right to life and to freedom of expression. Kenya's Prime Cabinet Secretary Musalia Mudavadi says that children continue to suffer from many incidences ranging from climate change to issues that are inflicted on them by people who are supposed to protect them. As we observe the World Children's Day, it is not lost on us 
the devastating effects of the ongoing drought on our children and citizenry at large. Children continue to suffer from severe malnutrition, school dropout, and heightened child abuse incidences. I wish to reiterate the government commitment towards safeguarding the communities, livelihoods, and continuation of schooling of the children in the affected areas. Mudavadi says Kenya has upheld the right of every child to education by offering the required resources to guarantee their success. The United Nations says children must be encouraged to become advocates of their own lives and should not face discrimination. East Africa's World Bank program leader for human development, Anne Bakilana, says that investing in children is key to building human capital for the world. In order for Kenya to achieve its aspiration and really be at the level of other upper-middle-income countries, investment in children uh, will be critical to efforts to build human capital and better investment in children are key to addressing the inequality that starts from a young age. Child advocates say everyone has an obligation to advocate, promote and celebrate children's rights that will build a better world for children. Ranging from climate change, education and mental health to unending racism and discrimination, children and young people are raising their voices on the issues that matter and are calling for adults to help them enjoy a better future. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Sacramento, California. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports. And here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, something. Good Monday morning to you too. James will begin the sports in Qatar, where the 2022 FIFA World Cup got underway on Sunday. The controversy lace tournament opened on Sunday with Qatar getting outplayed and embarrassed in a 2 0 loss to Ecuador in front of over 67,000 fans at the El Bayat Stadium. In 92 years of soccer's biggest event, a host team had never lost its opening game. Qatar became the first World Cup host to lose their opening match with Enna Valencia, scoring twice in the tournament curtain razor on Sunday after a gleasy 30 minutes colorful opening ceremony. African champions, the Lions of Taranga of Senegal will open their campaign in the World Cup against Group A opponents, the Netherlands, on Monday. Bayern Munich forward Sado Mane will miss the tournament due to a knee injury. Seni Dieng, Senegalese goalkeeper, says the team will miss the services of Sado Mane but has assured that the African champions are keen to make the African continent proud. Of course, it's a blow for us. Uh, I mean, every every nation here would miss a player like Sadio Mane. Um, but still, I think uh, in spirit, he's still with us, you know, and uh, we are going to do our best for him, for us, for the whole country and for Africa to make us proud. Sadio Mane's former teammate and Liverpool defender Virgil van Dijk, who is at the World Cup with the Netherlands, describes Monday's encounter against Senegal as a tough one. We have a fantastic manager experienced manager. Um, we have players who play at the, on the highest level, the biggest clubs in the world. We have experience, we have talent, and we have a good mixture. Uh, but first and foremost, we have team spirit, and I think that's the start and the key to success. It's not guaranteed success, of course, but it's a good way to start. And um, we're, gonna, we're looking forward to the first game. It's going to be a very big one against the African champions, and 
build everything in our power to hopefully get a good result and start our World Cup in the best way possible. Staying with the FIFA World Cup, FIFA President Gianni Infantino has accused the World Cup critics of hypocrisy during a news conference on the eve of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Infantino's comment came as a response to a barrage of criticism over a range of issues that has characterized Qatar hosting the tournament, including allegations of human rights violations and treatment of migrant workers. I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before starting to give moral lessons to people. We fight for human rights. We have results in our fights for human rights. Many more results than many others, and these things have to be said as well. That's the hypocrisy is on the other side. When you pretend to have a moral and give moral lessons to others, but in reality your situation is maybe not that good either. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, November 21st edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James